scripture just yet, but just get your Bibles and have it ready. Um, I want to teach and preach from this subject. Very, it's a very strange subject. Never taught on this before. Um, and so I need you to kind of go with me. I need to lay the foundation for what's going to happen even in midweek and what's going to happen over the next couple of uh, uh, weeks uh, in this ministry, in this church. I want to talk about the altar of prayer. Everybody say the altar of prayer. Um, over the last few weeks, we have looked at how having a powerful prayer life is not accidental, but it's intentional. So much so that I taught you that prayer must be three things. Number one, it must be what? Daily, deliberate, and direct. Uh, and, and, and one way that, you can, that we can build a systematic and continuous process of meeting with God is by building an altar of prayer in our lives. Because an altar is more than just a place where you receive uh, Jesus, where you kneel, and where you get married. You know, the most uh, that you know of, of, that we know about the altar is uh, Jagged Edge, meet me at the altar in a long white dress. <laughs> and so I got to straighten that out. Because an altar is so much more than where a place where people get married. It's so much more, if you like, from, like me from the old church, the altar is so much more than that, 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 that uh, th do this in remembrance of me. That, that table that sat there and you had your commune on it, amen. And um, uh, the altar is so much more than that because an altar uh, is a structure, watch this, where offerings were made to God. In fact, the root word for altar in Hebrew means to slaughter. Watch this. In Hebrew, it means to slaughter, but in Greek, it means a place of sacrifice. It's a place that we would sacrifice ourselves before God. In fact, just a minute ago, we had altar prayer, and I asked you to come down here. And, and yes, you are laying at the altar your concern, and you're offering it up to God and saying, God, handle this, take care of this. There's nothing I can do with it because the altar is the place where we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God because the altar is the place where the divine and the human would interact. It, it's at the altar that an exchange can be made, communication is had, and an influence in is enacted. Let me tell you something. Ain't nothing like when you get on the altar that God piques his interest and say, wait a minute, I'm about to move in your life because it is the place where influence is had. It's at the altar. I know y'all are so, uh, you know, we, we scared now to move in church and we scared that when there's an altar call, I'm not moving. You catching hell, but you ain't gonna move. But there's somebody in here that can tell you, when I realize what happens at the altar, I don't care who is standing next to me, I'm gonna make my way to that altar and leave everything right there at the altar. Look at your neighbor say, I ain't going home with what I came with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, the Bible shows us over and over that God would respond to altar activity. He responds to altar activity. That when man was intentional and deliberate about experiencing God, they would make an altar to, for God to show up in their midst. 
The Bible says, let me walk the Bible just for a minute. The Bible says that after Noah came through the flood, he built an altar and offered sacrifices to God. The Bible says that God smelled the aroma of the sacrifice and was so pleased by the smell that he promised never to curse the ground of man again. God says, watch this, I need to prophesy this over you. God says that your altar is getting ready to remove the curse off your life. You ain't with me. Every word curse, every generational curse, every family curse, I decree and declare that when you start building an altar, whatever was on you got to get up off you by the time you get through praying. Is there anybody in here that believe in the power of prayer that it can break every generational curse that's on your life? Give your neighbor a high five, say the curse is broken, the curse is broken, the curse is broken. I ain't going to be bound like grandmama and them. I ain't going to be living in poverty like great-grandmama and them. The devil is a liar. If poverty was on my family, by the time I get done building my altar, it's going to be broken. And my next generation going to be more wealthier than my generation. Is there anybody in here that say, I'm going to break every curse by building an altar? When Abraham was passing between Bethel on one side and Ai on the other side, let me walk the Bible. The Bible says, watch this, that the childish, childish Abram received a promise from the Lord that his offspring would receive this land. Hear me. And the Bible says that Abram builds an altar in between, catch this, Bethel and Ai. Now, you got to understand the significance of that. Bethel means house of God. Watch this. Ai means ruin. Okay. God says, Abram, let me let you know something. Where you at right now, in between Bethel and Ai, I'm going to give it to your offspring. Okay, you missed it. The childless Abram who didn't have any children, got a promise from God in between the house of God and ruin. Okay, you got the house of God on one side and the city of ruin on the other, but the childless Abram was going to be fruitful even while he was at the border of ruin. You missed the blessing. Let me tell you something. Some of you are on the edge of ruin, but God says I'm going to bless you right there in the middle of being on the edge of being ruined. Okay. Turn me up just a little bit. I need to hear myself. I don't hear myself real good coming out these. Turn me up a little bit. I need more strength and more power. Don't worry about these monitors. Uh, you lead the monitors where they at. Bring these up right there. Yeah, thank you. Bring up the house just a little bit. Watch this. Watch this. God says your altar is bringing you into a fruitful place even when, you, when you're close to being ruined. Uh, let me go further. Elijah had a contest with the prophets of Baal. I talked about this on Friday night. Uh, out at Mount Carmel, they built an altar. Elijah said, now, we're going to put this sacrifice on here. You call on your God, and we're going to see what happened. But I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. And when I call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, okay, he is going to be God. Because when you build an altar for the Lord to demonstrate his power, he answers by fire. I came to tell somebody this morning that God is getting ready to prove himself to you all over again if you would just build an altar right where you are. In fact, go ahead and lift your hands, open up your mouth, and give God glory and build an altar right where you are. He's going to demonstrate his power if you build an altar. And we have been declaring this all month, hear me, we've been declaring this all month, that God is getting ready 
to answer your prayers. I need you to encourage somebody behind you, turn behind you and say, hey neighbor, you back there, you back there. Uh-huh, you gotta look both ways at the same time, yeah. Say neighbor, God is getting ready to answer your prayers. All right, see that's the wrong neighbor, because if it was the right neighbor, they would have went into a praise and gave God glory because they know they got some stuff that's on the Okay. I need you to look at somebody and say, I got some stuff that's on the way, and God is getting ready to unlock heaven and make it shower down in my direction. Okay. Watch this. But building an altar for prayer is foundational in your pursuit after the presence of God. Building a place in our lives to meet with God on a consistent and continuous basis is the starting place to create an atmosphere to encounter God. Because sometimes we regulate the presence of God to the spiritual experience we have in the sanctuary. But the reality is that our meeting place with God is not confined to these walls called the church. I'm building an altar so that God can meet me anywhere. <laughs> I wish I would have somebody just holler out, anywhere. That if I'm in the middle of Publix on aisle seven, getting ready to get me some yellow rice and put it in my basket, I need to be able to feel God right there in aisle seven. I wish I had somebody right there. I don't want to just feel God when I come to freedom. I need to feel God when I'm in my bathroom crying my eyes out about what I'm going through. I need to be able to feel God when I'm driving down the street in my car getting ready to go to a job I don't like. Is there anybody in here that say, I need to feel him wherever I go? Watch this. Because I, I don't want them to be just confined to these four walls. But it takes, watch this, discipline, curse word, to get my life in a routine and a habit of meeting with God. I, I don't get so busy that I have to put God on my calendar, but God makes my schedule. And everything else comes after him. You missed what I just said. I, I have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto me. I have to early in the morning seek him. See, I can't understand why you work where you work and go in there unarmed. How is it that you work with that many demons and you ain't prayed before you dotted the door to go in there? Okay. I, yeah, that's old school. Y'all don't know what Dr. Door means. Uh, uh, how is it possible that you have to deal with all the struggles you have to deal with and you haven't prayed yet? The devil is a liar. I've discovered I got to pray even before I come to church. Because sometimes I will run into the wrong spirit even walking in the house of God. And I got to make sure I'm prayed up. Ask your neighbor, are you prayed up? Are you prayed up? Are you prayed up? I hope you prayed before you got here because you got to pray. And is there anybody like me? Before I get, when I wake up in the morning, before I get on Facebook, before I look on Instagram, I got to bend my knee and call out to God and say, God, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help. Okay. All right. We coming. Watch this. Watch this. I have, to, I have to see that the cost of spending time with God is worth the time and effort that it takes. I, I have to see that it's worth the time. I have to see that the cost I'm paying in the time that I'm spending to spend time with God is actually worth it. Because if I don't make time for God, my anxieties are going to get the best of me. 
If I don't spend time in the presence of God, I'll get uneasy about my life and I'll start to make rash decisions. That ain't you. Let me talk to some real people. But when I build an altar of prayer, I receive the instructions and the directions that I need for my life. What is an altar of prayer? So glad you asked me. Prayer means communication with God. It means I talk to God, God talks to me. An altar is a meeting place that I can talk with God and spend time with God. When I have an altar of prayer, I have a designated place. Everybody say designated place. That I can read God's word, worship, listen, journal, wait, and soak in the presence of God. I got a designated place that I can run to and feel the presence of God. Ain't nothing like a car praise. <laughs> I said, ain't nothing like a car praise. Okay, that ain't you. Ain't nothing like a shower praise. <laughs> Wet, naked, and giving God all the glory and all the praise that you can. Because I need, I need an intimate experience with God. I got to spend time with God where it's just me and him. And the more, watch this, and when I practice quieting my heart in his presence and tuning into the voice of the Holy Spirit, that's where I learn to be long before I do. I learned to be a worshiper before I started doing worship. I learned to be faithful before I started doing the preaching thing. I learned how to seek his face first before I started trying to get everybody else to fix my problem. Because when I soak in the presence of God, I learn to be before I do. And the more I meet with God at my altar, the more his power transforms my life. It's in his presence that my faith is built and my, and, and my strength is received. It's in his presence that I get what I need on the altar. Can I tell you something? Every time you go to your prayer altar, make sure you get something from God. Amen. I need to tell somebody, don't ever leave his presence empty. Okay, I, I don't want to ever leave the presence of God empty. That every time I get in his presence, he gives me more joy. He gives me more peace. He gives me more sanity. He gives me more. Is there anybody in here that say every time I go into the presence of God, I'm going to get something by the time I leave that place. God wants us to see, are we desperate for him? Do we really want him? I want to talk about, come on, let's go. Y'all still with me on the screen? Somebody on the screen? Somebody on the screen? Let's go. I want to talk about three places that Jesus built an altar. I'm talking about three places that Jesus built an altar. Only got three points for you. Three places that Jesus built an altar. Let's go to Luke, the fifth chapter. Luke, the fifth chapter, verse number 12. Luke 5, verse number 12. Y'all all right? Yeah. All right. Luke 5, verse number 12. I want to show you the three places that Jesus built an altar. Amen. Praise the Lord. Three places that Jesus built an altar. Luke 5, verse number 12. You have it? Say amen. amen. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. 
and immediately the leprosy left him. Look at verse number 14. And he, char and he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing. As Moses commanded for uh, as Moses commanded for a proof to them but now verse number 15 even more I want y'all to see this the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities verse number 16 but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray the first place that Jesus built an altar that I want to show you in this text, number one, write this down, is the wilderness. Let the church say the wilderness. The wilderness. The wilderness was a place where ordinary life is suspended, identity shifts, and new possibilities emerge. And even though much of Jesus, uh, uh, even though Jesus performed much of his ministry in urban settings, watch this, many of his most transformative moments happen in outdoor settings. They would happen on lakes. They would happen on seas. They, they would happen on mountains. And they would happen in the wilderness. The wilderness in the life of Jesus, watch this, I need you to hear this, was a place of temptation and duration. The wilderness was a place of temptation and duration. I, I, I know you got quiet. I, I know you got real quiet on me when I said that because some of you are living your wilderness experience right now. You're in a place of temptation and duration. Have you ever asked yourself how long it's going to last? Yeah. Have you ever had to scratch your head and say, I thought I was past this? Because yeah. <laughs> the wilderness is a place of temptation and duration. Catch this. The wilderness is a place where he was tempted by the devil. Y'all remember that? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. Watch this. He fasted for 40 days, and after the end of the 40th day, the devil shows up. Because you know I've discovered the enemy always comes when you, you're the weakest. He don't get you. Watch this. I need y'all to get this because y'all get bamboozled by the enemy every single time. He don't bother you when you leave church because you're still on a high. He wait till Tuesday at 3.35 p.m. Am I talking to anybody right now? I wish I would y'all talk back to me. Say, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. He waits until you are at your weakest moment to then want to pop up. He starts to tempt Jesus and say, Jesus, well, do this. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself off and do this. Turn this bread into turn this rock into bread. Do all this stuff. He tempts him over and over again. And every single time, Jesus got the victory over him. He said, It is written. That man shall not live by bread alone. It is written that you should not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written. He kept, he kept combating them every single time what the word says. Watch this. And the enemy was defeated in the wilderness. Catch this. He's gone through the temptation. And he defeated the enemy. It would strike me as odd. Just help me understand this thinking. If I went through 40 days of not eating. And then had to fight the devil. Why would I want to go back to the very place? that caused, it, caused me all that problem in the first time. Are you like me? Okay, let me put it like this. There are some relationships I just ain't going back to. 
Okay, you stupid. But there's some stuff I ain't going back to. After all the hell that the Lord had to bring me out of, you think I'm going to go back to it all over again? You need to encourage somebody because they don't believe that. Touch your neighbor and say, don't go back. Don't you go back. Don't you go back. If the Lord brought you out the first time, if he kept you from it, if he rescued from it, don't you go back again. Jesus encounters a man who has leprosy, heals him. Then after the town finds out, everybody starts coming after Jesus, and the Bible says that he then retreats to the wilderness to pray. Okay, watch this. Um, uh, um, why would you go back to the wilderness to pray? Because sometimes, catch this, it's about for five of y'all in here, you must return to to the places of victory in your life to remind yourself not to give up. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. This ain't for everybody, but but for some of y'all, have you ever, okay, I'm gonna really go here. Lord, I'm, I'm way out here, okay. Have you ever gone back and looked at somebody's profile picture just to remind yourself? that I give God all the glory and all the praise that he got me up out of it. Okay, y'all don't y'all don't y'all don't y'all don't know how to have reminders, but every now and again you got to have a reminder of what the Lord brought you out of. Sometimes you got to go back just to remind yourself, thank you Jesus that you got me out of that, that you rescued me from that, that you gave me the victory over that thing. See, see, sometimes you got to go back and remind yourself. Watch this. That when life becomes overwhelming and you don't know how to manage, go back to the wilderness to remind yourself that you are more than a conqueror. You, you, have to, you, you have to get to the place in your prayer life that you can recall the times that the Lord brought you out, brought you through, and brought you over. You got to go back to the wilderness. And in our text, I want you to see this. There are four transitions that happen between verse 12 and verse 16 that drives Jesus to go into the wilderness. I want you to see this. The first was a request. Then there was a reach. After the reach, there was another request. And then there was a retreat. Let me rewind that back again because you missed it. First, there was a request. Then there was a reach after the reach there was another request and then there was a retreat that the leper requested Jesus then Jesus reached out and touched him then the crowd requested Jesus and the Lord said uh-uh I'm retreating okay here's a man let me talk about the leper here's a man that is battling with the plague of leprosy and anytime you see someone in scripture with leprosy you must understand that leprosy was worse than death itself because you would have to live, watch this, in isolation until you literally rot to pieces. Because whenever someone had leprosy, they were forbidden to come near anybody. In fact, history tells us that when somebody had leprosy and they had a dog, if they touched the dog, the dog would have to be immediately killed. Because they were scared the dog would go run back into the city and infect all the people with leprosy. Leprosy puts you in isolation. Your family can't deal with you anymore. You had to cut all ties with every friend you have. Because whenever somebody was, had leprosy, they were forbidden to come near anyone. They would have to live in isolation outside the city. And anytime they came near others, they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Because <gasps> leprosy shuts down your nervous system and causes you, watch this, 
to stop healing. It's a skin disease that causes you, here we go, to go numb. When somebody's blind, they can't see. When somebody's deaf, they can't hear. But when someone has leprosy, they cannot feel. They lose, I'm in the house, all sensitivity. Could you imagine what life would be like if you had no feeling? Just touch your neighbor, just touch him, just, just grab him by the hand. You felt that. Now, could you imagine if you touched them and you couldn't feel none of that? I'm coming for you now. But that's how some of y'all are. You with us right now and you don't feel nothing. You are completely numb. The only thing moving is your face. But the rest of you has completely checked out. You numb to it all. Praise the Lord, church. Numb. God will make a way. Numb. Your sensitivity is completely gone. Watch this. Your neighbor sitting right next to you catching hell, and because you are not sensitive and have no discernment, you can't even pick it up. Because you are completely numb. You can't feel nothing. And you know what numbness does? It leaves you to a place where you feel isolated. You in the room, and you feel all by yourself. It's people all over this room, they even in the hallway. And you don't feel nothing. So you tell yourself, watch this, no one feels what I feel. Watch this, here we go, because you're getting quiet, that means I'm preaching real good. No one understands what it's like to be me. Here's the, here's the nail in the coffin. No one can help me with what, what I'm going through. Have you ever been in a season in your life where the greatest story that you told yourself was the saddest one? I mean, is there anybody like me? Okay, I'm going to just talk to some real people. Like pastor that sometimes can have the best pity party you ever seen in your life. You go from, I'm all by myself, here we go, to nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. There's nobody there. Then your phone vibrates. Somebody texting you. Hey, what you doing? They don't even care. <laughs> Am I talking to anybody right there that know what I'm talking? Okay. That you, you know how to have that good pity party. Because you are numb to it all. And God is saying, the, the, the problem is you ain't scared of death. You scared of isolation. Here we go. Let me push it even further. That's why you put up with people you really don't like, because you don't want to be alone. Because if they ever found out that you're really numb, they wouldn't have nothing to do with you either. Mm. Pastor, I'm numb. I don't feel nothing. What you going to tell me? What you going to you going to tell me to pray? That's what you going to tell me to do? That's all you got for me? No, I got something better for you. You want to know what the answer is? Just like this leper, I got good news for you. Jesus is in the vicinity. 
I wish I had somebody right there. And if you want to be free, Jesus can touch the untouchable. See, let me tell you how powerful that is. Because when the text says that he touched him, it, in the Greek, the Greek for the touch right there translates that Jesus took hold of him. Okay. It means that Jesus understood you didn't just need a touch. I need to literally grab you to let you know you're not in this by yourself. And is there anybody in here that's grateful that one day God came along and grabbed you and held you together when you felt like you was about to fall to pieces? Do this for me. Do this for me. I've been doing this since Friday, so you got to be demonstrative. I need you to get your neighbor. I need you to grab them, put your arm around them, hold them real tight, rock them if you need to, just hold them real good, and tell them Jesus got you just like this. Yeah, you're not in this fight by yourself. You're not struggling by yourself. You're not going through by yourself. You ain't got to cry these tears by yourself. You got a God that knows exactly what you're going through. You got a God that will help you through everything. Is there anybody in here that say, I'm grateful that I serve a God that came and held me one day when I was all by myself and didn't know how I was going to make it. He came along and grabbed me and held me in the palm of his hand. Y'all ain't old school like me, but we used to sing a song that says, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And the joy of my soul, oh, joy of my, my heart floods of my soul. Something happened, and now I know that he touched me and made me whole. See, I don't give God glory and give God praise because I got a nice car and I got a nice house. I give him praise because I serve a God that came along and touched the untouchable. That when nobody else wanted to deal with me and nobody else wanted to touch me, I serve a God that came along and grabbed me just in the nick of time. I need somebody in here that Give God just a little bit of praise because you serve a God that came and grabbed you. All right, let me go. The leper requested. Jesus reached, and now the crowds hear about this and request to be healed as well. Here's, 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 here's the dilemma in the scripture. Watch this. Jesus gets a crowd, but the problem is they didn't want Jesus. They just wanted what he had. Okay, they didn't want to give God the glory. They just wanted to be healed. They, they, didn't, they didn't want to worship God. They just wanted what Jesus, what they could get out of Jesus. And this happens all the time in Jesus, in, in Jesus' ministry. People get healed, word would spread, and everyone shows up to get healed. People would get healed, word would spread, and then everybody show up to get healed as well. See, we, we read about that when Jesus feeds 5,000 uh, 5, men, and after that, the people started following him around. Why? Because they was hoping for more free food. I, I, you know, Rev, I know you're doing all that talking and that preaching, but when are we going to get to the food? I'm hungry. I'm ready to go to Potter's house right now. And they done moved closer to this church. I, I, when you gonna, when you cut, you know when you gonna cut this sermon short because you know I, I'm ready to go. I, I I got I got other agendas. Jesus is in the room, but I got other agendas. And the Bible says that when Jesus tries to teach them, they get mad and leave. Let me let me say that again. When Jesus tries to teach them, they get mad and leave. I'm talking about in the Bible. I ain't talking about freedom. When Jesus tries to teach them, they get mad and leave. They don't want teaching. They just want miracles. 
They, they don't want the process, they just want promises. They, they don't want deliverance, they only wanted their selfish desires. You know what, they had a gimme mentality. Gimme, 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 gimme. And the moment you stop giving, oh, I don't know about that. And Chantel, they deep now. The Lord is leading me in another direction. Because we don't want to be taught. We just wanted stuff. They didn't want to give God glory. They only wanted to see a show and get a free meal. But Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower and not a fan, you must bear your cross and come after me. If you're going to be my disciple, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Is there anybody here that can say, I'm absolutely lost without God. I need, I'm desperate for him. I can't make it without him. I got to have him every single day of my life. And I refuse to try to come in here and act like I don't need him. Somebody lift your hand and say, I need him. 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 Before I get to work tomorrow, I need him. Before, watch this. Before I get home from church, I need him. Okay. I need him before I even get in my car. I need him. Before I pick up my cell phone to see who sent me a text, I need him. Because there's something that's going to disturb my spirit. And I need him before I have to deal with that. Watch this. The Bible says Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. They're coming after Jesus. Hey, you healed him. Heal me too. And the Bible says Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. Now I like this. Watch this. Because it did not say he healed him. He put up two fingers and said, deuces, I'm out. <laughs> and he retreats to the wilderness. The leper requested. Jesus reached. The crowd requested. And Jesus retreated. You know why? Here we go. Because no matter how spiritual you are, sometimes you can get worn out by the grind of life. Oh, I could preach this right here. I don't care how spiritual you can be, sometimes you will get worn out by the grind of life. Come on, let's talk about the grind of life. The morning alarm go off, you press snooze. It go off again, you press snooze again. You know exactly how many you can do before you get up and be late to work. Am I talking to anybody right there? Okay, you grab your coffee, you go to work, you pay bills, you strive to get a pay raise on the job, you do what's expected of you, you work longer hours, you carve out time for your family, seems like it's never enough, you feel guilty because you're at work and your children at home, you feel, you're all trying to give yourself to everything you got, then you come to church and the preacher always talking about you got to be in church, and I'm preacher, I'm at work, I'm trying to take care of my family, now you want me to be up in here, I got all these expectations everywhere, and after a while the grind will get to you. Here's the crazy part. And you wake up the next day and you got to do it all over again. Grinding to make things happen. Well, what happens when your life becomes so loud and everything around you becomes so demanding that you can't even hear your own inner thoughts anymore? You ever had so many thoughts racing at the same time? That you tried to remember the second to the last one and you can't remember it and then you're just like, oh, well, it'll come back to me. Oh, God. Jesus teaches us in this text how important it is, watch this, to pull back and to pray. When life becomes demanding, hear me, you got to learn how to pull back and pray. 
he shows us that we must keep communication with God when life is taking everything out of you. Because sometimes the best thing we can do in the midst of the rush of life, listen to this, is to slow down so that you can hear the voice of the Lord. Some of you can't hear him because you're going too quickly. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. I got bills to pay. They're going to be there anyway. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down so that you can hear God. Slow down because you're about to make the wrong decision. Slow down. I love him. Slow down. Slow down. Touch three people and just tell them two words. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Because you might be going too quick and you can't hear the voice of the Lord. Watch this, and I need you to hear this. And it's in the wilderness that you don't get stuck in your own head. I'm teaching better than y'all saying amen. It's in the wilderness that you don't get stuck in your own thoughts, but you rehearse what God said so that you can fight the fatigue that you feel in. It's in the wilderness, the place you're trying to stay out of. It's where you don't get stuck in your own head. Watch this. You got to make an altar in the wilderness and remind yourself that there is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful that he will give that when you are attempted above what you're able to bear, he will give you a way of escape. It's in the wilderness that he teaches you that. So that you make an altar of prayer, make an altar of prayer in the wilderness to manage the moments of your life. Got to slow down. You know what Sunday morning is? It's a slow down moment for you to take inventory of your life so that when you go back on Monday and when you have to face everything after you leave church, now you've gotten what you need in order for you to go all the way through. And I know I'm telling you because some of y'all know uh, if I miss a Sunday, okay, I know some of us, we can, you know, we casual with it, but is there any, anybody like me that say, I can't miss one Sunday, because if I miss a Sunday, it seems like my whole week is completely off, that my boss would usually get on my nerves by Thursday, but when I miss Sunday, by Monday at 10 o'clock, anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right, I just want to make sure somebody know what I'm talking about. Watch this. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Because, some of you need to write this down, hear this. Because busyness is not an excuse to interrupt your intercession. Busyness is not an excuse to interrupt your intercession. Busyness is not an excuse to interrupt your intercession. Let me go deeper. Because if you interrupt your intercession, watch this. There's somebody that's counting on your prayer. And when you stop praying, the enemy can come in. Don't you realize you're a gatekeeper? That there's some things the enemy wants to do in your life, in your family, with your children, with your marriage, that if you stop praying, you have opened the door for the enemy to come in and wreak havoc. But is there anybody in here that say, I'm going to stay on the wall, I'm going to keep on praying, I know it's going to be hard, I know it's going to be difficult, but I refuse to stop praying because I'm a gatekeeper. He's waiting on you to realize that your prayer is what's keeping the devil back. Mm. That your prayer is what's stopping the enemy. It's that when you pray, when you open your mouth to pray, the devil can't have free reign. Came to tell somebody, don't you ever stop praying. 
I know it's hard, but don't you ever stop praying. I know you want to give up, but don't you ever stop praying. I don't care if you lay on the altar and say, God, I'm sick of all this. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. But keep on talking because after a while you're going to say, I'm tired, I'm tired, but you're faithful to me and you've been good to me and you'll get me through this and you'll get me beyond this and you'll get me over this. Is there anybody in here that ever had to turn their complaint into worship and had to turn their, their complaint into praise and tell God in spite of what I'm going through, I know that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I can ask or think. Don't you stop praying even while you're in the wilderness. See, the battle in the wilderness, I'm going to get off of, it, off of it, is that sometimes we focus on what we are not accomplishing and never acknowledging what we have accomplished. See, you're overwhelmed with the demands of life. And you start to look at it and say, hmm, well, I ain't did this, and I ain't did this, and I ain't did this, and I ain't did this. And then you beat yourself up of what you have not achieved by now. Now you're walking around in this funk. You, you always upset now. Because cause, cause, let me tell you what really gets you. Social media. Because now you compare where you are in life against somebody else. Because you say they're the same age. And how they driving that? We went to the same school. We, we came from the same place. And it seems like they further. Now you are stuck in your head trying to outdo someone that ain't got the same call as you. Now you're struggling with yourself because you done got locked in your head that you believe that you should be further than where you at. And maybe God has created the place that you're at on purpose. For purpose. Maybe where he got you at is right where he wants you to be because he's going to get the most glory out of you right where you are. Yeah, the bills ain't paid off. Yeah, I still got debt. Yeah, I didn't graduate. Yeah, I got this baby. Yeah, I know I didn't. I got married too soon. But in spite of it all, I believe that all things are going to work together for my good in spite of what it looks like. Watch this. Watch this. So you're mad, you're upset because you, all, you know, people demand this stuff from you, Jesus. They want, they want, they want to be healed. You, you get away and, and you realize, watch this, uh, uh, um, like us, like us, we start to think about the stuff we haven't accomplished without looking at what we have accomplished. But here's the good news. Can I tell you the good news? The demands on your life shows you the level of your giftedness. Some of you don't even know how gifted you are. The reason why they own your nerves on your job is because you just had to gift it. The reason why everybody comes to you with their problems is because there's a gifting on you. The reason why God is always up in the ante and wants you to do more and try making you go further is because there's a gifting on you. And you trying to fight the gift. <laughs> Let me bless you. Let me bless you real good. Lord said this to me, Joni. This thing blessed me. If you had nothing to offer, they wouldn't be pulling on you. If you had nothing to give, they wouldn't ask you. Now, I don't ask a broke person for $1,000 because I know they ain't got it. But when I know you got a million and I need a 1000 I know how to go to you because you got the potential to do it. You don't ask broke people for money. Ask your neighbor for $5. They ain't got it. They ain't got it. So here's how you handle it. 
Here's how you handle it. When they're requiring more for, from you and they want more of you and it seems like you ain't got nothing else to give, when they pull on you, you pull on God. Okay, you just missed what I said. That's, the, that's what you do with your altar because your altar is your place that you can pull on God. So while they're getting on your nerves in your job, you can go right into that bathroom, close that stall, and say, God, I need you to give me the peace that surpasses all understanding because I'm getting ready to lose it in here. And then you can walk right back in there and say, well, how can I help you? Give your neighbor a high five and say, pull on God, pull on God. Don't you quit pulling on him. Pull on him every single day of your life. Don't you try to raise those children by yourself. Pull on God until God gives you what you need. You got to pull on God. You got to pull on God. First place he prayed was the wilderness. The second place he prayed was a mountain. The mountain. The mountain. He, put a, he, he made an altar, uh, altar of prayer in the wilderness. But he also made an altar of prayer on the mountain. Go right over to the next chapter, Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke 6, verse number 12. Luke 6, verse number 12. Are you getting something from this? Luke, the sixth chapter, verse number 12. Luke, the sixth chapter, verse number 12. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Luke, the sixth chapter, verse number 12. You have to say amen. amen. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Verse number 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who were designated apostles. That's all I need. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent all night praying because he had to choose some disciples. Watch this. Jesus is praying for the choice uh, for him to choose who he was going to make the 12 disciples. Watch this. The 12 apostles. Now, we tend to think that Jesus only had 12 disciples, but he, he really had hundreds, maybe even thousands of other disciples. But he chose 12. Watch this. Hear this. Freedom, I need you to hear this real good. My leadership, you need to hear this real good. Because he must organize his ministry to choose who he, who he would pour the most of his time into. He had to choose who, who he would spend his energy on. He had to choose who he would put his attention on. Watch this. Why would he do that? You got hundreds, maybe even thousands, but you're going to only spend the most time pouring in the 12. Why? You know why? Because everybody you can count, you can't count on. <laughs> Not in the notes. Just want to get this to you. Could it be that you are pouring into an empty well? Let me rephrase that. Could it be that you're pouring into a bottomless pit? Could it be that you're spending time and spinning your wheels on someone who don't want to be poured into? So the Lord says, watch this, you must be selective and specific of who gets the bulk of your time and your attention. I, I don't know if you're like me, but you need to hear this. Um, I can't spend two hours on the phone with just everybody. 
thought I was going to get more amens than that. I, I realize the older I get, time is precious. I can get more money. I can get another car. I can get another woman. I can get another house. But I sure can't get any more of my time. Okay, I just want to talk to some real people that say, I ain't got no more time to be wasted. I just I ain't got no more time to be wasted. Okay, all right, all right. Watch this, watch this. So he selects 12 out of hundreds, maybe even thousands. Because everybody you can count, you can't count on. So you got to be selective. The investment you have to make has to be greater than personality. Those that you pour into, they, 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 the, re the relationship is to produce, hear this, it has to produce, hear this, effectiveness. Okay. Your investment should be in people. I need you to get this because when the Lord said this to me, I literally, I was typing it and I had to get up and walk away and look at Sadie. I said, that don't make no sense. Sadie is my dog. I said, that don't make no sense. She looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he said this to me. Watch this. Leadership, hear this. Jesus is teaching us you can't select everybody because your investment should be in people that can absorb the demand on your life. Did we just not see that he real popular right now? Did we not just see that his ministry is exploding and people coming from everywhere to come see him? So he got all his people with him, but he realized that the only people that he needed to invest in to that level were the people that could absorb the demand of ministry that's on his life. Now that left me scratching my head, because now that tells me I, I can't be friends with just anybody. I, I sure can't marry just anybody. Because <laughs> I told you all a couple of weeks ago, it's a warfare that comes along with walking with me. And if you can't handle the demand that is on my life, watch this. I will spend more time trying to heal your wounds than you trying to fight with me. God, that was good right there. Oh, God, that was good right there. There are some of us that are spending too much time trying to pacify people. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. No, they shouldn't have been there in the first place because they can't handle the warfare, the level of warfare that's on your life because the anointing is on you. So you got to make sure you choose people. That can absorb. Can you take a licking and keep on picking? Can you handle the scandal? Can you ride with me? Even when it get tight. Even when it get difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, don't, don't marry nobody until you see them go through trouble. I need to see what you, how you handle it. Because I can't have you balled up in the corner with a thumb in your mouth singing, why is me, woe is me, for three days. No, we got a devil to fight. And I got to make sure I got somebody that can fight with me. Okay, y'all don't like this kind of teaching right here. There's two out there. You need people that will hold up your arms when you get weak. You need people that can help carry the load even, even, watch this, that can help carry the load even if you're not around. Even if, even if you're not around. Can I trust that you're going to feed the child even if I'm not in the house? 
this is real good. This is, listen, this is blessing my life right now. Can I trust that you are going to be responsible, that if you're supposed to handle the light bill, I ain't going to get that letter in the mail. Can I trust you even when I can't see you? You worry about, are they going to cheat on you? Honey, are they going to pay the bill? Get your mind right. Oh, God, okay. They mad. It's all right. They mad, Ernest. It's all right. It's, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's all right. So watch this. Watch this. The Bible says, where did he pray? On the mountain. Here's a revelation. So that means I have to come up high enough so that I can see the full picture. I have to leave y'all down there. Because, and I have to go pray. Because in my prayer time, I'm also watching. Okay, here we go. I got to see. Here we go. Let me see how you treat people you don't need. Because when people want you, they'll butter you up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me see. Let me see how you handle conflict. Let me come up higher so I can see, watch this, how you handle being in the inner circle. Let me see if I can trust you to remain faithful even when I'm up here. So I have to get high enough on the mountain to see what I can't see when we're at the same eye level. I know you can make me laugh, but I've discovered people can make you laugh and tell your business at the same time. And they are laughing you, and you wondering why your business got out there. And you never suspected the one that can make you laugh like that be the very one that tell all your business. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Y'all can get lit together real good. Y'all have a good time. Y'all turn up better than, no. I mean, y'all, you know. I know. I get it. I got it. But the question is, sometimes you got to come up higher to see, can they pray for you? Can they, can they reach God on your behalf? Or is this just a, 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 a relationship of convenience? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, I love my lapel. It lets me work. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yes. We have a good time. Watch this. You got to come up higher. I'm coming real strong right here, and I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. You got to come up higher because you need to see are they really your friend or are they just clout chasing? Are you just riding with me and you waiting on the next big thing that's just a little bit bigger than me? Touch your neighbor and say, I rebuke that clout chasing spirit. That's why you must build an altar on the mountain. Get high enough to see what you can't see down there. You got to come on up. You got to come on up. You got to come on up higher. Because prayer is the primary step when making a decision. That's why, that's why whenever we see Jesus facing a critical decision or an important action, he spends extra time in prayer. 
prayer because prayer becomes more important to Jesus than food or rest. When he ain't eating, he praying. When he ain't sleeping, he praying. Prayer was his spiritual lifeblood. It is his secret weapon to being connected to God. Jesus always makes prayer his number one priority because without prayer, his ministry will have no power. Old folk used to put it like this, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. But no prayer, no power. So let me say this to you, and I'm moving on. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Do I need to say that one more time? Okay, okay. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You got it now? Some of us are asking, I don't know what to do. Have you prayed? I don't know which direction to take. Have you prayed? Watch this, because if you are facing an important decision, here's your steps that I'm going to tell you that you need to take. If you're facing an important decision, here's what you need to do. Number one, pray. Number two, pray. Number three, pray. Here's number four. I'm going to mess you up. Think about the decision. Then pray some more. Number five, get some Bible behind it. And then pray. Number six, get godly advice from a Christian. And then pray. You ready for this? Because prayer is not a substitute for work, thinking, watching, suffering, or giving. Some of you want to pray that God give you a new car when you need to do the math to find out can you afford it. Prayer is not a substitute for work. Prayer is not a substitute for thinking. He gave you a mind. Use it. Think. Is this a good decision? I didn't pay that bill yet. Should I go shopping? <laughs> Touch your neighbor and say, you ain't got to pray about that. <laughs> All you got to do is think. Is this a wise decision? Now, here's the crazy part. I said you ain't got to pray about that, but some of you, your emotions ride over your brain. So now you got to pray that God will bring that thing on under subjection before it gets out of hand because your imagination will see yourself in the outfit you can't afford. I am blessing myself today. Watch this. The Bible says he prays all night, and then when it's morning, he goes out and makes his choice. You got to pray. So the first place that he prayed, the first place was the altar of what? The second place was the altar of what? Here's number three, and I'm done. The solitary place. The solitary place. Mark the first chapter. Go over to Mark the first chapter. Mark 1, verse number 35. Mark 1, verse number 35. Are you getting something from this? Mark 1, verse number 35. You have it say amen. amen. Mark 1 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. 
And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. Verse 39, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, here's what I need you to understand. When you look at this first chapter of Mark, catch this. This first chapter of Mark, the gospel of Mark is very quick. If you need, if you want to look at any of the gospels, that's very quick, gets to the point, it don't give you a whole bunch of extra. Uh, Mark is called the action gospel because it's just action packed. It go from here to here. It's quick. It's quick. It, it, uh, a straight way. And then all of a sudden, it's in the next thing that Jesus did. Don't give you a whole lot. And Mark, watch this, you see that Mark, in, in Mark's gospel, Jesus was a mover and shaker. In this one chapter, we, it, this, we in chapter one, right? Just in chapter one, in this one chapter, we see him baptized, tested in the wilderness, announced his calling, calls his first disciples, drives out impure spirits, heals Simon's mother-in-law, the whole town finds out and brings their, all of their sick, and Jesus heals them and drives out their demon. All in that one chapter. That was quick. Watch this. And even after all that Jesus had done, the Bible says that Jesus gets up while it's still dark, leaves the house, and goes to a solitary place to, pr to pray. But the disciples interrupt Jesus' prayer time to let him know that the people were still looking for him. He popular. What do you do when you have given your all and it seemed like it's still not enough? Have you ever just looked at somebody and say, you done took everything from me. I ain't got nothing else to give you. Have, have you ever looked at that ungrateful child? You done went without eating lunch so that they can have what they can have. And they still looking at you like you ain't done nothing for them. Have you ever had, have you ever had that family member that you took your hard-earned money, gave it to them, didn't even look for it back? They barely said thank you. And then they come back to you talking about, can I have some more? Yeah. I'm talking to real people right here. H have you ever been in that relationship? And they, every time they up the ante, you just, you up the ante with them. Okay, you got it. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. All right. I'll go over here. I'll go take, okay, I'll drop this off. I'll get this. Uh-huh. I'll go get the cleaners. Go to the cleaners, get the clothes. I'll come back. Okay, I'm going grocery shopping. All right. Uh, you get to the house, and they look at you and say, when you cooking? <laughs> oh, it's getting tight right through here, Leola. I feel it. It's getting tight right through here. Sometimes you look at them and say, I have nothing else to give. You can't get blood from a turnip. I have nothing else to give. Watch this. What do you do when people put the demand so high that you're like, what, what else do you want? You know what it does? It leaves you in this one word. Hear me. Frustrated. I don't know who I came for. But somebody on the sound of my voice, you're frustrated. And it is possible, ladies and gentlemen, to be saved, love Jesus, and still be frustrated. Either you're frustrated in life or you're frustrated with life. Um, and I don't believe that God's will for our lives is to live in a constant state of frustration. 
Here's the crazy part. Jesus did not say, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you frustration. <laughs> he didn't say that. He said, but those that live for Jesus want to live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. While, while it's not God's intention for us to live in a constant state of frustration, watch this, God does use frustration. We get, we're going deep, and I'm done. What if I told you, your neighbor ain't ready for this, so I hope you are. What if I told you that frustration was your friend? Selah. Let that settle in your mind for a minute. What if I told you that frustration was actually your friend? That maybe frustration is like the check engine light in your car. <laughs> it's an indicator that something needs attention or adjusting in your life. Now, I need to stop to figure out who I'm talking to. That is there anybody in here that say, Pastor, I'm living through a frustrating moment and a frustrating season in my life right through here. Okay. Because here's what I've discovered. Frustration is an indication of failed expectations. Okay. Have you ever looked at your life and said, I ain't think it was going to work out like this. You know, we raised all our life. Go to school, get good grades, get in a good school, get your education, get your degree, graduate, get you a good job, marry somebody, have 2.3 children, get a little dog named Fifi, and you will live happily ever after. Look at your neighbor and say, it didn't work out like that for me. It didn't work out like that. No, no, it didn't work out like that. It, 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 it didn't work out like that for me. It, it, it didn't happen for me. In fact, in fact, um, everything that I thought didn't even happen. I, I, you know, I, I thought I was going to be in New York in a, in a penthouse, a deluxe apartment in the sky. I, I thought, I thought, come here, I thought I'd be living in Atlanta. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, I thought I'd be out of Jacksonville by now. That's what I thought, I thought this was just my pass through. I'm passing through to what God has for me. <laughs> and we are frustrated. Oh, thank you, Lord. He say, stay right there. I thought. <laughs> he really did. He say, stay right there. I thought I'd be married by now. Nobody told me I could be in my 40s and not have no children.
Nobody told me. Nobody told me that I could get my degree and still struggle to pay my bills. Nobody told me that. Nobody told me that. Nobody told me that. And my expectation was so high. Nobody told me that people could be that mean and nasty. Nobody told me. Nobody. They didn't tell me that, Danielle. They painted this picture like I thought, you know, everything was going to be wonderful by now. I was going to be driving my Tesla. If I was in Jacksonville, I'm living in Ponte Vedra. Nobody, nobody told me. Shannon, nobody told me what was going to happen. I, I, th I thought, I thought they painted this picture like it was just going. And I love God, and I'm frustrated. Because I got expectations that have gone unmet. This is the kind of stuff we don't like to talk about in church. We want to shout over this. We want to shout over this because we don't want to talk about that we are frustrated because we are living with unmet expectations. But I'm here to let you know, watch this, that maybe God is using frustration to adjust our expectations and to help you move on from the life you thought you wanted. You're frustrated because you have not moved on from the life you thought you wanted. So you need to go to a solitary place to get an adjustment in your expectation. I thought, you know, I got married, it'll be the honeymoon. Every day. I thought it was every day. I didn't know that they feet would stink like that. get it. Y'all don't want me to tell the truth. It's all right. It's all right. Y'all don't want me to tell the truth. Y'all don't want me to tell the truth. I didn't know. Nobody told me that. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. I can guarantee you. I can give you one guarantee. Just one. Here's my one guarantee. Life will not go the way you expect. That's my one guarantee for you. Life will not go the way, one way you expect. The only thing that is predictable is the unpredictability of life. So the power of your life, hear this, is going to have to be how do you manage what you did not see coming? The power behind your life is how do you manage what you did not see coming? Little Poo Poo was beautiful as a baby. Poo Poo is a demon now. How do you manage what you did not see coming? I ain't see myself in no freedom church. I ain't see this coming. Watch this. The good news is, even if you didn't see it coming, here we go, God already saw it. 
Watch this. And he prepared you before it even came. God, I wish I had somebody right there. That's the only way you've been handling your life, that you serve a God that's been preparing you all the time for you to handle. You know how I know you handle it? Because you didn't go crazy. You didn't throw in the towel. You didn't give up. You didn't walk away. You still got a praise. You still giving God glory. That's what you need to give God the praise because he was preparing you for what you didn't see coming. Problem in our text. Here's the problem. You ready? Here's the problem. Here's the problem in our text. They're coming after Jesus. He's popular. Here's the problem in the text. <laughs> the problem is, Jesus is winning. Here's what we do in the church. We love talking about difficulty. Difficulty is difficult. So we love talking about how you ain't got no money for bills. We love talking about you're sick and Lord heal you. We love talking about you got an enemy and you got haters and, you know, the stuff we love talking about in church. But I want to flip this on the other side of it. Because sometimes that's not our prayer place anymore. Sometimes our prayer place has shifted to now how do you handle success? How do you handle when money ain't the issue no more? Okay, come with me, come with me, come with me. How do you maintain, maintain, hear this, success and your spiritual commitment at the same time? Mm -hmm. Because what ends up happening is that success has the ability to make you forget God. Come here. I see this all the time in the people of God. You're going through, you come through church, shout all over the place, crying on the altar, you laying it out. But the moment that whatever was the problem is over, you ghost on God. Because mm -hmm. the issue is not the prayer that you used to pray. Now the issue is your prayer has not evolved to the level of the success you own now. Ain't no problem in your marriage, so you ain't praying about that no more. You good. You Gucci. Money ain't your issue no more. So you don't pray. Isn't it amazing how your prayer life stops when the issue is over? Catch this. Because what ends up happening is that success has the ability to make you forget about God. Let me prove it to you. The children of Israel did it all the time. They would get successful, forget about God, get in trouble. God would get them out, and the cycle would start all over again. They would get successful, forget about God, do something wrong. God has to rescue them. Then they're back successful again, and they forget about God. It's a cycle. Why? Here we go. I hope you're ready for this. I pray that you can receive this in Jesus' name because the immature has to stay in crisis in order to stay committed. I know how mature you are in the faith by your commitment when the crisis is over. Because if the only way you can stay committed to God is if you're in crisis, that's why God won't bless some of y'all. Because he know if I bless you, I'll lose you. He know if I sin, the man you've been praying for, you'll turn the man into the idol and you'll forget about him. So he'll leave you single. He know you get that promotion, now the job going to take everything. 
and why you should be in service on Sunday, you tithe because you had to work overtime on Saturday. I know how mature you are how, by how you manage your, your crisis. The immature, watch this, have to stay under pressure in order to pray. Because people don't know how to evolve in their re re reliance on God. In one season, you had to depend on God for things you no longer have to depend on him now. And we think because we have to depend on God differently, then we don't have to depend on him at all. In one season, you had to depend on him for money, but now you don't need money, but you need him for your mind. Because money can't give you peace. Money can't take away your stress. Ah, money can't keep you in perfect peace. God, I wish I had somebody, but I need to depend on him differently. So here's the revelation. I'm done. My solitary place is to depend on God differently. Stop praying. Now I just depend on him differently. Where I used to pray all the time, he done fixed that. But now I go to my solitary place. Because once he done blessed me with the job, now God help me to manage my emotions so I don't cuss these people out one day. Look at your neighbor and say, depend on him differently. Depend on him differently. You seeking God when you, when you were single, now you got married, you better pray. You better seek God with all your heart. You just got to pray differently. Your solitary place is to pray to God differently. He prayed to him in the wilderness. Watch this. He prayed, for, prayed to him on the mountain. He didn't need the mountain blessing anymore. And he didn't need the wilderness blessing anymore. Now he's successful and he needed to know how to manage that. So now he had to pray to him differently. People of God, you got to have your altar of prayer wherever you go and whatever you do. Don't you stop praying. Keep seeking the face of the Lord. I'm done. Everybody's standing. Who is this word for? Everybody in here. Everybody in here. Hear me, people of God. I'm wise, I'm, 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 I've been in this pastoring thing nine years, and I, I'm, I'm wise enough to know now that not everybody's in the same stage of life. Some people I met when you first joined this church five years ago, four years ago, you were broke, didn't have no money, couldn't rub two niggas together. But now that ain't your testimony no more. That don't mean you, you don't need God anymore. You just need him differently. And we have to mature to the place that we seek his face differently. I grow in him more and more each and every day. And I learn him at a deeper level. And the God who always had to rescue me out of all my stuff, I don't need that God no more. Because I done finally talked. He done taught me. Stop getting in that stuff. Do y'all hear me? You got to get to the place where you depend on God differently. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus for yourself, if you're unsure of your salvation, if you never confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, 
My brother, my sister, I came to introduce you to a man that can make your life brand new, that can turn you around, that can give you a fresh start. You know you're not saved or unsure of your salvation. I'm going to count to three. I want you to lift your hand saying, Pastor, I want to surrender my heart to the Lord. This is your day. This is your time. This is your season. Don't leave here the same way that you came. Give him your heart on today. He ain't asking you to get it together. He says, come to me, and I will help you to get it together. Secondly, if you need a church home, there's no greater place than right here at Freedom, a place you can grow and mature in God, a place that God can give you just what you need right when you need it. You need to be planted in the house of God. You can't come to church and just be dating the church. You got to join the church. God is saying, I'm calling you. So if it's for any one of those reasons, to give your heart to the Lord or to, or to join this church, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, it's me. I just want to pray with you. That's all I want to do. I just want to pray with you. Come on, let's do it. One, God loves you. Two, this is your time. This is your season. Don't leave here the same way that you came. Come on, let's do it right now. One, two, and three. If I'm talking to you, lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. I don't want to leave anybody behind.